Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Ryan Glover podcast with guests for the blueworldorder.com website. I'm of course Ryan Glover and the producer for this and every podcast is Jordan Taylor. You'll hear his perspective throughout these podcasts and with the final segment of the podcast, Final Thoughts with JT, where me and Jordan will break down what the guest says for that specific podcast. Today's guest is an EHS coordinator by day and an NBA blogger slash analyst by night. The one and only Christian Dudley joins us. Christian, first, thanks for joining us this afternoon and how are you? Thanks for having me. How are you all doing today? I'm good, Christian. Thank you. So let's talk about these Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously not that much to discuss, unfortunately. The team is coming in with a lot of inexperienced players, and just we're all banged up. I think Matt Barnes said it perfectly right. last night. We're coming to a fight with spoons, to a gunfight with spoons, unfortunately. We wish we were coming in with knives and forks, but we're coming in with plastic spoons. So it's not that good. That's the case. Yeah. So 94-68 loss last night again to the San Antonio Spurs. Back-to-back games of having under 75 points. First time that's ever happened in an NBA playoff game. So what are you seeing, Christian? What can the Memphis Grizzlies possibly do to steal one at home in these upcoming games? Uh, They need a lot of scoring right now. You know, they have the defense. Uh, Tony Allen, even though he's not 100%, uh, you know, he's bringing the defense. We have Matt Barnes. Uh, we have a couple guys that, you know, they can bring the defense even though we're not 100%, um, especially since Mike and Mark are out right now. But um, we really need scoring. You know, everybody's shooting poorly, especially Zach Randolph, uh, both of the first two games. Uh, you know, shooting awful. Last night he had uh, 5 out of 17 shooting from the field. Uh, even though he led the, or almost led the team in scoring, had 11 points uh, behind Tony, who was 4 of 7 for 12 points. But, you know, 11 points and 12 points for your top two scores. you know, it's not going to get you a win against the San Antonio Spurs. Because the Spurs, they have defense, they have plenty of, you know, scores that pack the punch from the field, you know, from three, from the post, from everywhere. Um, they're a championship caliber team. They're going to push the Warriors to the limit, you know, if they make it through the Grizzlies and on down the road. Um, you know, the Spurs are for real. Uh, the Grizzlies right now, they could be there, too, if they had 100% of their team back. But um, right now, they just really need a whole lot of scoring. And unfortunately, most of their big-time scoring options aren't available. So are we, at the, are we at the point now where you know you're down 0-2? You're playing a team that can easily win the Western Conference Finals slash NBA Finals. Should Dave Yeager just be like, fuck it, and just start the young guys, Xavier Munford, Jarrell Martin, people of that nature, and say, I know I, sound, I, know I signed Jordan Farmar for experience, playoff experience. You know, Matt Barnes has been here, Vince Carter has been here, et cetera. But if we're trying to get experience for the young fellas going down the line, and we know Munford signed for the next year, obviously Jarrell Martin signed on the rookie deal, should, they, should they, those two guys start these last two games and just see what happens and just roll with it, get experience? Well, as far as Farmar goes, then you try something different first two games he's probably been uh, you know even though Randolph's been shooting bad everybody's been shooting poorly um, I think Farmar's probably been you know the Ryan Hollins <laughs> of the team because he's just been playing awful um, you know bad decisions with the ball bad shooting you know he shouldn't be starting I'd rather see Munford starting you know try to develop him along um, I'd even prefer to see Lance Stevenson on the point even though he's not necessarily a um, perfect point guard option right now I'd rather uh, him start at the one instead of having Jordan Farmar out there, especially because we would really appreciate it, you know, one win out of the whole series, um, you know, if that's what it comes down to. But, um, yeah, I'd say even bench Farmar if you have to and go with Lance and Munster, whoever you can. I mean, heck, even Vince Carter, he's a point forward sometimes. 
I think me and you are better options at the point guard position right now, Christian, <laughs> if we're going to be honest. But, I yeah, so. I definitely agree. Obviously, it all came down to Zach Randolph. That was going to be the one key, right? But it felt, it felt like since 2008 when Memphis pulled off that upset, the one versus eight against San Antonio. Since then, besides that three-overtime miracle last year, San Antonio's had Memphis's number every single game. And it feels like, you know, every time they front Zach, that's the biggest thing because obviously he's great around the basket, but when he's got a bigger defender on him like a Aldridge, Duncan, even Moranovich when they play him in time to time, you know, Zach just doesn't have that foot speed anymore, and obviously he's never had the lift. But as soon as San Antonio's fronted him on every single possession since 2008, it's been awfully bad for Zach Randolph, unfortunately. And I just, you know, at this time in his career, I don't know what he could do differently, in my opinion, but it feels like every time when San Antonio fronts him with a big guy and they've got help from the weak side or help from behind, Zach's just got nothing left. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes from not having Marcus All. Exactly. Because our biggest weapon right now is, you know, Zach Randolph in the paint because Mark's not available. Um, if Mark was available, he'd be the best player on the team. You know, you can't stop the seven-foot center that can do absolutely everything on the court. He can pass. He can shoot. Uh, he can defend. You know, you have to double, triple team in the post. And then, you know, since he's gone, all we have is Zach. The Warriors have him figured out. Spurs have him figured out. Um, it's easy to figure a player out whenever you don't have Marcus on the court to refer to, you know, to get points or get defensive stops. So clearly with the San Antonio Spurs, right, we can talk about them because they're most likely taking this series in four, maybe five. But when you look at this team going forward, right, most likely going to be lined up against Oklahoma City and then most likely Golden State if all falls into the right spot. Obviously Aldridge and Leonard are those go-to guys, 1A, 1B. But if you look so far on these two games, they really haven't had that third, you know, big score. You know, sometimes it's Parker, sometimes it's Danny Green, or sometimes it'll surprise you like Patty Mills last night who had 16 off the bench. But do you think Aldridge and Leonard are good enough to get them past those two teams respectively, or do you think they need that third consistent score that needs to get to the 15 to 18 range along with those two guys? Well, I'd say it's hard to really tell right now because the Warriors, they just have so many pieces. And it seems like I don't really have an explanation of how the Warriors are so good, especially Steph Curry. Um, I really didn't think anybody would ever break the 95 Bulls record. Um, I think the Spurs, they have a great team right now. It's definitely, you know, good enough to get to the finals and to bring home a championship to San Antonio. But, you know, the Warriors, they're just a different beast. A lot of that depends upon the health of Stephen Curry. Uh, he just missed the last game because of a sore ankle. Um, even though I've heard that he's good to go and he'll probably play in game three, um, you know, if that's a lingering issue for the Warriors, that could really hurt them because he pretty much facilitates all the offense. Um, he's their number one three-point shooter on the team. Um, you know, they go where Stephen Curry goes, even though they still typically win whenever they're going to play a another strong opponents such as the Spurs, um, that's where they need Curry to be at his absolute best. So then when you look at, say, Grizzlies, right? Obviously we'll talk about this more in the offseason when it gets closer to it, but we can start talking about it now. Obviously you know Zach Randolph's under contract, Tony Allen's under contract, obviously the big one would be Mike Conley, but Chris Wallace said today on the Chris Vernon Show, we've signed, we've signed every core player so far under my tenure, we're going to sign, re-sign Mike Conley, so that's good to hear there. And then you know Mark's under contract coming back from injury. So you know you're going to have some cap space because the cap space is completely rising up. And you know Lance Stevenson has that over $9 million option to team option. So is the biggest thing the Grizzlies should do this offseason is re-sign or drop Lance Stevenson? Or should they go after a Nick Batum, Luol Deng, somebody of that nature? Well, um, 
I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Greenwich front office has discussed going after Kevin Durant in the offseason. You know, it might be a little bit unrealistic, but um, KD has been, you know, in a small market, just like Oklahoma City is. Uh, Memphis is kind of similar to that. Um, you know, I think KD would have a perfect chance for a championship if he would join a healthy Memphis roster. You know, they'll have a healthy roster moving forward when Smart comes back. And uh, also assuming Mike can come back to um, be re-signed to a new contract. But, um, you know, if KD doesn't work out, I'd say Nick Batum would be really good because he can play defense and he can also shoot the lights out for three. Um, he's got a little bit of everything. I really liked him in Portland. Um, that option right there, that would be ideal. Uh, as far as Lance Stevenson goes, I would really like to keep him on the team, especially because he can be had at a pretty cheap price right now. Uh, he's getting paid $9 million right now per season, and uh, he'll be a free agent this off season. and it's a Grizzlies team option on that. Um, it'd be nice if he would accept the less than what he's currently making, so therefore the Grizzlies could retain him, but they might be able to work something out to where he might be able to make, say, $5 million compared to, like, three if that's what the um, market was offering him right now because, after all, he hasn't played a whole lot this season. He's rode the bench most of the time uh, until he got to Memphis. Um, you know, Lance, I've seen him in play uh, in Indiana. I know really what he can bring to the team. And he can be that point guard. He can be a shooting guard. Sometimes he can even play small forward. What he is is a basketball player. Uh, you know, he can find crafty ways to get your biggest points. He can shoot from outside. He can play defense. He can get under, you know, even LeBron James's skin. Uh, he's that type of agitator on the floor, and it's something that the Grizzlies really need moving forward. Um, it just might not be right uh, in terms of financial means. Um, depends where the Grizzlies are standing in the offseason with their money and the new salary cap. But um, I hope they do all they can to try to retain Lance Stevenson. So when you look at him, like you said, you've watched him in Indiana. We've seen him play the three against LeBron. We've seen him be the two guy, the combo guard, people of that nature. But when you look at him, what is he? Does he need a guy beside him who can shoot, like a Mario Chalmers? Like this year before he got injured, he became a very reliable shooter, and he can have the ball in his hands and then have a, a spot-up guy beside him. Or is he kind of guy where he needs somebody else with the ball in his hands, like a quote-unquote superstar, like a Paul George was a up-and-comer a couple of years ago? What do you think he needs beside him when he plays? Because, you know, right now it's confusing. Obviously you're limited and injury-wise right now, but he has a lot of ball in his hands in the second unit. But when everybody was healthy and you had Mario beside him for a little bit and then Mike Conley before he went down, what do you think Lance needs beside him? I'd say that Lance is more of a player that needs the ball in his hands to be effective. Uh, just like we've seen in the Spurs series with Kawhi Leonard guarding, uh, guarding him. He's um, had some trouble getting open whenever he doesn't have the ball in his hand, and that leads to turnovers. Um, Lance is all about making cre uh, creative and crafty passes for easy buckets for his teammates. That's exactly what he did in Indiana. Um, he's a big reason why Roy Hibbert was an NBA All-Star, and uh, that's part of why the team you know, declined there in Indiana as they were trying to win a championship because the connection there between Lance and, say, George Hill, Paul George, and Roy Hibbert, it just started to break up. And uh, teams like Miami Heat, they were figuring them out. They needed to take out Lance from the series. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, Roy Hibbert's not playing an all-star level and neither is anybody else. Um, I'd say Memphis has a good, really good roster for Lance right now because Mike Conley's kind of like George Hill. 
Um, he can play off the ball. He doesn't really need the ball in his hands to be effective. Um, you know, he can make screens, cuts, uh, run baselines, easy baskets. He doesn't have to be like a Chris Paul type and necessarily have the ball in his hands the entire time. Uh, so that's what makes Lance effective whenever he's able to play with a point guard such as a George Hill or Mike Conley that can uh, be effective while having the ball in their hands. That way Lance can go to work with the ball. So we'll talk about more of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference playoffs in general now. So we'll talk about the Cleveland-Detroit game first. Obviously they played Sunday afternoon. They're back in action this evening. Cleveland pulled that one off 106-101. Detroit had some big moments. Reggie Jackson, you know, showed some immaturity in that fourth quarter, picking up a technical foul and having some very iffy shot selections in particular. And just, you know, the inexperience gained on them as the game went forward. And, you know, that when you've got LeBron on the other end, a lot of stuff goes his way and his team's way. So what do you think Detroit has to do in this series? What do you like in Detroit? Any chance they can maybe get three, two games in this series? Before the series, I really liked Detroit's chances because they have some of everything. They have a dynamic point guard. They have a great center. They have outside shooting. Uh, they have a pretty decent bench. And, uh, you know, they're able to put up points, just like we saw in their game one, uh, especially from Marcus Morris, who was shooting really well from outside. And uh, they even have Stanley Johnson. He's a lockdown defender that's able to guard players like LeBron pretty well. Um, I really think that Detroit can still pull out this series. It's probably a lot closer than what the national media will make it out to be. Uh, even if the Cleveland Cavaliers do go on to win, um, it probably wouldn't tell the whole story the way the national media uh, would likely treat the first round for the Cleveland Cavaliers since they are the Eastern Conference's number one seed. But um, moving forward, I think that uh, the uh, Detroit Pistons need to get the ball to Andre Drummond more in the post, even though Reggie Jackson, you know, he likes to get his shots. He likes to make plays. Um, I think that the first loss of theirs, it was definitely on Reggie Jackson because he kept forcing shots. He had teammates that were wide open on the perimeter that had been shooting hot all game long, and he just didn't really look for them. Uh, he had some shots that were falling too, but a lot of it was just over the top, excessive dribbling, uh, forcing up shots, and therefore they, you know, they lost in the end. And it just came down to a few points, and if they would have fed it inside to Andre Drummond or maybe hit a Marcus Morris um, on the outside for a few baskets, you know, that could have been the difference between a game one win and a game one loss. Hey, Christian, it's Jordan. So, hey. I, so I think, uh, I think a a big part of what Cleveland's been doing is really getting Kevin Love involved. And I think that's partly to do with they've been playing a small ball lineup, kind of Kevin Love at the center, LeBron at power forward. So do you think going forward there'll be a lineup they stick to against other matchups? Uh, it's hard to tell because, you know, Cleveland, they have all these pieces right now. Um, they've got Kyrie. They've got Kevin Love. They've got LeBron. Um, Detroit, they – just like I said, they have, you know, they're a special team because they're young and they have a whole lot of uh, nice pieces to match up against. Um, so Cleveland, you know, they kind of like to play small. And uh, Detroit, they can go either way, too, because um, they have some nice bigs, although they're kind of limited after Aaron Baines and Andre Drummond. Um, I think the small ball game fits Cleveland really well, whereas uh, – it does Detroit, too. It's just that Detroit needs a, another great rebounder, and where they're evenly matched with the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, they fall short once you dig down to the bench on the Pistons. 
because they don't have another key rebounder outside of Baines and Andre Drummond. Because uh, that's one thing they really needed in game one. Uh, they needed somebody to go in there and grab rebounds, but they were giving plenty of second chances to um, Tristan Thompson and the rest of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, Jordan, you make up an interesting point there because Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy, who was calling the game Sunday afternoon, said that you know if they're going to play Kevin Love at the five, then they're going to have Drummond or Baines at the court at the same time. And when they went small with Kyrie, J.R. Smith, Shumpert, LeBron, and Love, you could get away with having Drummond guarding Iman Shumpert and then putting either Marcus Morris or Tobias Harris on Kevin Love because you know what Cleveland's going to do, right? They're going to try to put Kevin Love, Kyrie, Kevin Love, LeBron in the pick and roll and make Drummond try to guard the, either the stretch five or LeBron going to the hole. So if you say because the key, right, you want to have Shumpert beating you. If Shumpert beats you, you put your hands up and you say, good mm-hmm. job, all right? But you don't want the big three beating you who had over 80 points in the first game. So it'll be interesting tonight because if Tyron Lue watched the tape and watched that game fold out Sunday afternoon, he's playing Kevin Love at the five as many minutes mm-hmm. as he can. And it would be interesting. I think you can get away with having Drummond guarding Iman Shumpert and letting him beat you. If he beats you by the dribble, then you have your weak side help. But if Shumpert beats you, he beats you. But more than likely, he's not going to beat you. All right. So, yeah, moving on to the two-versus-seven series, Christian, obviously the Pacers and the Raptors. Pacers looked very, very good in game one. Obviously, that was all because of Paul George, who had 30-plus points. And then in game two, finally, the big two of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry stepped up to get a big-time win as Toronto was getting very itchy on their seats as they've lost two back-to-back first-round matchups now in back-to-back years. So what do you see going forward here, Christian? It looks like Indiana has very problems scoring-wise when Paul George is on the floor because in that fourth quarter when Paul was resting, you know, I didn't know when the next bucket was coming from the Indiana Pacers. So what do you think Indiana has to do, especially in that second unit? Obviously, they brought in Monte Ellis to maybe do that. Maybe Rodney Stuckey, obviously, has been a little health-wise problems this season. So what do you think Indiana has to do when Paul George is sitting down to get some buckets? Well, first off, they need to make sure that Paul George doesn't get in early foul trouble. Yeah. Uh, he picked up two early fouls in game two, and that's where as soon as Paul George left the game, the Raptors, you know, their league got way ahead of them. Uh, of the Pacers, and then the Pacers were trying to play uh, catch-up the entire time. Though they uh, finally got back into it, uh, they were out of gas by the end of the game where they really needed to make that final push. Um, After that, uh, I'd say Stucky really needs to get involved because even though he's missed a lot of time this season, he's still a great scorer off the bench for them. Uh, Just like C.J. Miles, he's really fell off too. And uh, they especially need to get both those guys wide open looks on the three-point line because that's where they really make their difference. Stucky, um, he's uh, a better driver to the basket than C.J. Miles. So, you know, he can kind of go either way with how he gets his points. Um, but, you know, they're a great defensive team. They just really need to slow down DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry all they can, which they've done a really good job of so far. Um, you know, you just have to stop the Jonas Valanciunas of the league, you know. <laughs> um, that's the one thing that really uh, has killed the Pacers right now. Yeah, um, even though the Pacers are built on all these perimeter scores, uh, live and die by the three, so to speak, um, Jonas has really killed the team right now because the Pacers are thin in the front line. Um, their options that they do have are kind of mediocre. And plus, uh, Jan Mahimi, he didn't even practice today, and I doubt that he plays in the next game. And so that's going to limit the team even more because there goes one of their key bigs. Yeah, I agree that um, you know they're very thin at the at the you know the front line. Obviously, 
Miles Turner, a rookie, hasn't played in these kind of big games. But I was surprised later on the season, in the last couple of weeks, he started to bench coach's decision, Jordan Hill. I think, you know, he's obviously still not the greatest center in the world, but he's got some experience. You know, he played for the Lakers in some of the playoffs. Obviously, if Jan Mahimi can't go in game three, I think we'll definitely see Jordan Hill get some more time. And I think he's capable enough to get some good, valuable minutes. So the three versus six matchup, the Heat versus the Hornets, by far the most lopsided game one. Miami destroyed Charlotte. That pick and roll defense was killing Charlotte all night long. Lou all dang out of all people had himself had a heck of a night as Jordan pumps his fist as he is an annual Miami Heat fan here, Christian. So I'm sorry, you're going to have to deal with all his smarks here in this conversation. <clears throat> but game two tonight, obviously big bounce back game for my, and for Charlotte. They have to, in my opinion, get this win. This is going to make a series here. So obviously giving up 40 points in the first quarter, their defense was atrocious. So do you think the easy switch is either benching Cody Zeller for Al Jefferson or are you seeing something different here from their defense that you think needs to be better, especially in game two? Well, I will say I am, uh, I am a huge Indiana Hoosiers fan, so I do like Cody Zeller. There you go. Although I do find it surprising that he has been starting over Al Jefferson this season. You know, um, Al Jefferson had a short suspension for some off-court trouble this season. That's pretty much when the uh, switch happened. But I would still take Al Jefferson pretty much 10 times out of 10 over Cody Zeller uh, to start, especially in the playoffs. Uh, Zeller, he's just not the type of scorer or the scoring threat that Al Jefferson is. And I think that's the one change that needs to happen tonight if they want a real chance at being the Miami Heat um, and maybe, you know, take control of the momentum in the series. Uh, it's already going to be hard enough because the Hornets, they just don't have as many weapons. Just like you said, Luol Deng went off. Uh, he was kind of turning back the clock a little bit. Um, you know, they have Dwayne Wade, Hassan Whiteside. They have plenty of weapons. They have pretty good rookies that are contributing. And uh, the Hornets, they're already going to have their backs up against the wall as it is. But I think it would be smart to um, not necessarily bench Cody Zeller, but just make him a reserve and have Al Jefferson start and try to run the offense through him and Kemba. Any comments, Jordan, before we move on? I'm sure you've got a lot to say about your Miami Heat. Go Heat. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, the Atlanta Hawks and the Boston Celtics series, obviously the dreadful game one that was going to be for Boston, and all of a sudden out of that, the big third quarter comeback again like they did to the Miami Heat on the last game of the regular season where Boston looked like they had a chance to win it down the end, but unfortunately lost Avery Bradley to injury and then lost the game by one, and then Atlanta smoked them last night in game two, 89-72. Unfortunately, Christian, I don't see anything now for Boston. Big loss, Avery Bradley. He gives it to you on both ends. The guy's really, really good. In my opinion, first team all defense this season and up there is most improved also. So anything, any hope you're seeing at all for Boston or do you think Atlanta takes this in a four or five games? I think Atlanta's got this because they've got a great roster, deep team. You know, they could probably go toe-to-toe with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, Jeff T, Gal Horford, Paul Millsap, Kyle Corver, you know, the list goes on of all-star players. Um, Boston, they just don't have it. They have Isaiah Thomas and so far the size of the um, Atlanta Hawks, mixed with their uh, athleticism, has really messed the Boston Celtics up. Um, they brought in Terry Rozier, a rookie, uh, for some spot minutes um, in last night's game to take over for Avery Bradley. And, you know, he's just not the same type of player. Um, he went to Louisville. He's a scrappy player. He's all about defense, but he's just not Avery Bradley. You know, you can't just throw a rookie in there especially a late second round or a late first round pick like that. You know, his first playoff series, it was actually his first playoff minute. And 
you know, you just can't compare him to Avery Bradley and expect to have a different outcome. Um, I think after that game, it's pretty much sealed it up. You know, Boston, they might squeak one game out, but right now it's all Atlanta, and I don't think that's going to change. I agree. Back to the Western Conference then with the Warriors and the Rockets. Obviously, Stephen Curry got that MRI yesterday afternoon. Nothing serious that was reported on the MRI and still questionable for Game 3 tomorrow night back in Houston in H-Town. So, simple question here, Christian. Obviously, the Warriors proved that they can beat the Rockets Game 2, 115-106. Should Stephen Curry take the rest of the series off and rest his complete ankle and hopefully get ready for the second-round matchup against the Los Angeles Clippers? Or do you think he, just as a competitor as he is, one of the best players in the world, do you think he plays regardless? Hmm. Well, I've been thinking about this. And, uh, you know, Curry, he's such a competitor. And he, you know, hardly ever takes a game off. He really hates to. Even uh, last game when he did take it off, um, he did warm up before the game, and it looked like he was going to suit up. But probably, thankfully for the Warriors, uh, they did pull him from the lineup. I would say that since they you know, have the series lead at two games to zero, um, they can win without him, clearly. So I would say just set him. You know, if they uh, lose game three, uh, then definitely bring him back for game four and then you know, finish the Rockets as fast as possible. But, you know, they need all the rest they can because, like I mentioned earlier, Stephen Curry, you know, facilitates the offense. He dictates just how much they're going to win by. Every game there's a major difference, you know, if they're going to win by five or if they're going to win by 35. It's all dictated through Stephen Curry. And if they really want to repeat for championships, then they need to give them all the rest that they can right now. And uh, there may be no better time than right now to rest them. So, say they do risk Curry and the Warriors end up wrapping this up in four games. Curry doesn't play the rest of the series, and then their next matchup would go, um, or who they're, who they're playing next, would be Clippers the Clippers or, Blazers. Or Clippers or Blazers. So, say that series goes six or seven games. Do you think Rust will play a factor when Steph comes back? Um, I think uh, Rust will play a factor. Uh, I think he can you know, take all that he right now uh, in terms of rest. Um, it's always nice to be out on the floor and you know keep getting shots up, keep your shooting stroke flowing, but it's the playoffs now, you need all the rest you can get because even if they go ahead and play Curry right now, he could go out there and re-injure his ankle and they might be in an even worse position on down the road than what they are in now. Um, not saying that they're in a bad position now, but you just don't want to risk further injuring your our player. Yeah, it's a very interesting dilemma, Jordan, because I agree, because say they get it done, right, their last game, game four, would be April 24th, Sunday, mm-hmm. and then if it goes all the way down for game seven, say Portland and the Clippers, that's May 1st, that's right. Sunday, so it's almost a week, right, and then the series would start in the following day, that Tuesday, so it's very interesting, but when you're the best shooter we've ever seen in our generation, probably ever, does that jump shot ever get rusty? I don't know if it ever gets rusty, but that conditioning sure takes a hit. That's true. Like, if, you, if you're not there running game speed like every other night like you've been doing, you might come out there a little yeah. winded. Yeah, that's true. So now to the three versus six matchup, Christian. Obviously, nobody saw this coming in game two from Dallas after Oklahoma City destroyed them in game one. But obviously, the big thing that nobody's talking about, in my opinion, is 
it felt like Westbrook and Durant missed 40 shots combined in game two, but they only lost by .1 tenth of a second with Steven Adams having the ball in his hand. So that tells you they were in the game regardless of those two guys having probably their worst career shooting games ever, definitely in the playoffs. So I still have all Oklahoma City in this series, but did you see anything at all from Dallas, Christian, that, that could make this a interesting series and maybe Dallas pulls off the upset? Well, I was really thinking that the Mavericks were going to get swept, Yeah, especially after that first game. Um, you know, entering the first game, I didn't think that they would get a single win. Then after they got blown out in game one, they had zero offense flowing. They couldn't get stops. Um, Durant and Westbrook were doing whatever they wanted to on the court. Um, that pretty much confirmed it to me that they would get swept. And I was blown away in game two when they came back. And uh, it kind of gave me some hope for the Grizzlies that they would come back and, you know, do something similar to the Mavs. But, of course, that didn't happen, unfortunately. But... Uh, as far as the Mavs go, they're, you know, they have some age on the team. Um, the Thunder, they're more of a youthful team. Uh, I really don't think the Mavericks will pull out a, a second win against the Thunder, although you know they might just blow us all away, just like in Game 2. Um, it's basically just wait and see, because you never know what the Mavs might do now. Um, who knows if KD and Westbrook will play as poorly as they did in Game 2 again. Um, you know, we didn't really expect... KD and Westbrook to play that bad in game two. So, you know, it probably won't happen again, especially consecutively. But at this point, you know, there's plenty of surprises in that series and anything can happen. Now to the final one, the Clippers and the Trailblazers obviously felt the game one lasted five hours after Terry Stotts repeatedly kept fouling DeAndre Jordan when they are up by 15-plus or more. So that's clearly something Stotts is going to keep using in this series. We'll obviously see tonight how much DeAndre gets fouled in game two. But it feels like Christian... Obviously, they have the matchup, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin over Noah Vonley, Ed Davis, you know, Mason Plumlee, it doesn't matter, Chris Kamen, they're clearly got the matchup there. And it feels like C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard completely have to outscore J.J. and Chris Paul if this is going to be any games whatsoever. But when the Clippers play like they did, you know, in game one, they look really, really good, finally fully healthy for the first time in a long, long time. So what did you see from the Clippers and any hope at all from the Blazers that they can get a couple games here? I think that there's plenty of potential that the Blazers can get a couple wins. Um, I still don't think that they can beat the Clippers in a series just because um, the Clippers have so many great front court players with Blake and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, the Blazers, they're just not as advanced in the front court as the Clippers. Um, if the Blazers are going to pull out any wins, it's going to have to happen in the back court with their perimeter shooting. Uh, Damian Lillard, you know, he's going to have to go off just like he has all season. That's why they made the playoffs. And also, C.J. McCollum, uh, his offense is ridiculous. You know, last postseason, he grilled the Grizzlies uh, from outside. Um, he's, and even, you know, driving to the basket for easy buckets. Uh, we threw Tony Allen on him. He's still able to score. He's one of the best scorers in the league. Um, so if the Blazers, they want to move any further in the postseason they need to absolutely get the ball to Lillard and McCollum uh, tell everybody get out of the way um, you know just light it up from three that's what they're going to have to do because they probably won't get many baskets especially easy baskets against the Clippers front court so we'll get you out of here on this one Christian obviously some news around the coaching carousel went down today with the Minnesota Timberwolves fi finalizing a five-year 50 million dollar contract with Tom Thibodeau to be the head coach and the president of basketball operations sort of the same position Stan Van Gundy has with the Detroit Pistons 
So first of all, obviously Thibodeau's a great coach. He's proven that on the court. But do you think he's capable of enough to running an organization where you already know he's going to be playing his best players, Wiggins, Towns, so forth, over 40 minutes a game? Do you think that's going to be a factor at all going forward? But I think it's a great hire. What do you think? I think it's a great hire. I mean, uh, Thibodeau's had plenty of success, especially on the defensive end uh, with the Chicago Bulls when he was their head coach and also as an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics that wound up winning uh, Kevin Garnett a championship. I think that's a big reason why the Minnesota Timberwolves wanted to bring in Thibodeau because of the Kevin Garnett connection. Because KG's probably got one season in him remaining, if that. And so um, KG's probably moving to the front office part as soon as he gets done playing, whether it's you know being an owner or maybe basketball operations, something of that sort. Um, and so he was probably on board with Thibodeau. And he probably was putting a little note in the front office's ear there in Minnesota, you know, like go out and get Thibodeau. Um, Thibodeau's great defensively. Um, I think he got the short part of the stick there in uh, Chicago with getting released so early. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind if he wound up on down the road Memphis just because of uh, how great he is defensively. He knows how to win championships. He knows how to make deep playoff runs. And I think that's great for Minnesota because they have all of these great young talents that, you know, he's had similar players. And he's seen these players grow up, uh, like Derrick Rose and Zach Levine, you know, uh, two dynamic point guards right there. Uh, he's coached those types. And just like Carl Anthony Towns and KG, he's coached those types. He's coached bigs that know how to shoot, uh, especially stepping out to mid-range or a little bit further. Um, lots of these different players that the Timberwolves have and are trying to develop, Thibodeau has had before, you know, similar prototypes on past rosters that won plenty of games. Well, Christian, I appreciate you so much this afternoon for joining the podcast. Me and Jordan are very grateful for your great insight. Thank you so much, and I hope to talk to you down the road. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. So that was Christian Dudley from our BlueWorld.com website, and of course he's on a lot of other things around the world in the Louisville slash Indiana area, so make sure you check him out there for some great insight. We're finally to our final thoughts with JT segment here. We'll start with the Timberwolves discussion, Jordan, as you were shaking your head a little where sarcastically as Christian was talking there. What were you shaking your head about? Yeah, I couldn't see KG in the office role. I think I think he said for the ownership. I think he wants oh. to buy a stake of the um, Minnesota Timberwolves. That's be my guess. I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't see yeah. him as being a gentleman. He'd just be barking at the other gentleman. I couldn't even see him phone. in a suit. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I, I think he's I think he's definitely interested in buying part of Minnesota, maybe all of Minnesota Timberwolves' yeah. organization. I would I would probably see that. I think that would be good. Yeah, like just keeping KG around. Yeah, yeah. In some sort of way, because honestly, I don't think he's helping too much on the bench because, yeah. I mean, I understand having veteran leadership in there, but when that veteran le- leadership isn't out there on the court with you, yeah. when they're not fighting with you in the trenches, like it's not going to have as significant as of effect. That's why Andre Miller bounced as quick as he could. Right. He, he, did not, <laughs> he did not enjoy his time at all at Minnesota from some of the stuff I was reading and listening to. So the hire itself, $10 million a year to be the president of basketball operations and the head coach. Like I mentioned, he's never been a president of basketball operations. We know what he is coaching-wise. Mm-hmm. Do you like him getting the full power, or would you still like him just to be the head coach by himself? I like it. I, li- I like because what comes with Tibbs, I think you get a philosophy. I yeah. don't think you just get a coach. And I think the problem that he had in Chicago, he didn't have that full power. And he's going to get all of that and more in Minnesota along with that great young talent. So I think he can have a big influence and enforce, like I said, his philosophy and his theories and how he wants to play the game. 
He can have full control, full power. He can run it how he wants to. I'd like to put you on the spot, so I'm going to do that right now. We're going to save this podcast for a year from now. Are the Minnesota Timberwolves the eighth seed or higher in the Western Conference playoffs next year? Yes, sir. Good. Put me on the record. Put me on the record, too, because I think it's going to happen. Thibodeau's a great hire. So some other news that's going to be circling around now, the Houston Rockets and the Washington Wizards are trying to finalize one coach with two separate teams. They're trying to get Scotty Brooks, the ex-Oklahoma City head coach, to be their head coach. Washington's general manager right now is actually with Scotty Brooks having a meeting in California. So in your opinion, is Scotty Brooks a good coach? Because you know my thoughts about this, because I don't think he is a good coach. And B, what system fits him better, working with his ex-teammate and ex-player in James Harden or going for your younger talent, Otto Porter, John Wall, Bradley Beal, of that nature in Washington, which is a better fit for a quote-unquote good coach in Scotty Brooks? Scotty Brooks, I, th- I think it'll be Washington yeah. because anything in Houston to me just seems detrimental. Like that, that just seems like a team on fire and it's crumbling as we speak. So, and I also think that Washington is looking for Scotty Brooks because they think that he might be an influence to bring Kevin Durant back. I don't believe that for a I second. I don't believe that yeah. either. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> but I think they, from what I, I actually read some articles in the Washington Post last week saying they think Scotty Brooks is a good player development guy. They think, yeah. yes, Durant and Westbrook are top five, top ten players in the world. There's no uh-huh. question. But they, people think around the league he actually helped them develop. I agree because Russ didn't come in this good. Yeah, we did not think Russ was going to be what he was. We didn't think Reggie Jackson was going to be That's what true. he was. Like true. He, he's he's helped develop a lot of guys, and I think from that standpoint, yeah. But as far as X's and O's, coaches setting up plays and strategies and stuff, I don't think he's the guy for that. Yeah. So another interesting name is the ex Houston Rockets coach to be the next current head Rockets coach. Jeff Van Gundy coming back into the fold of Houston. What do you think about that? That one hurts my heart, man. Like right. him and Mark Jackson calling those games, I'm going to miss that. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, he, and he's getting an interview with the Sacramento Kings, yeah, too. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. They got two spots for me and you, Jordan. Let's sign up right now. What do oh, you think? Oh, yes, sir. Put our names in that hat. Yeah, we're dropping our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so let's move on back to the playoffs, and we'll end on this segment right here. Doesn't matter what game, doesn't matter what series. What intrigues you the most now going forward? Is it just simply resting Stephen Curry, say, for the next three to four games if if the um, Warriors finish him in game three or four? Is, it, there's a, is there a series that's got you on the eye that we need some love? Because if we're going to be honest, there hasn't been an exciting series no. slash an exciting game. No. That Boston-Atlanta game had some excitement, but for th- 24 minutes it was god-awful basketball. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What's the big headline that we need to look in the round one of the playoffs? To start, I mean, luckily about this playoffs, I've been getting my sleep. Like, nothing's been keeping me up at night. Thanks for your personal stuff. <laughs> Let's get that out the way. <laughs> but um, what I what I was really hoping was for a good one from the Clippers and, and the, the Trailblazers. Yeah, like, it was only one game, but, like, Stotts has to realize we cannot foul on every single right. possession because regardless if you foul, it's messing up your tempo because yeah. you have to get the ball out of bounds and then set up the play against the Clippers' defense when they're fully healthy. They're mm-hmm. pretty damn good on defense. So Stotts need to realize we can do it from time to time. Say yep. when Clippers go on an 8-0 run and he doesn't want to waste a timeout, then you do it. But yep. every single possession, like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. You know you know that your players hate it. Yes. The, the players want to get up and down and want to get their shots up. They're sick of watching DeAndre Jordan air yeah. ball free throw. Seriously. And they are, they have been some funny air balls. Like they he missed that one to the right. Like <laughs> there's a there should be a rule in the NBA where you can either hit the rim 
Airball in the middle, but you should never airball left or right. That just should not be possible. Like, at some point, we're questioning your vision. Literally. Like, do you know where the goal is? We both wear glasses. Should we offer our glasses right. to we, you? I think we need to. Yeah. <laughs> Extra thick. Yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, not that much Grizzlies talk in this podcast. I know this is a Grizzlies-based sort of podcast in this website here for Blue World Order. So, I, un- I understand if you don't want to listen this week. But we give you great insight regardless. Me and mm-hmm. Jordan, we know our basketball. We like to bring you all the stuff around the NBA. And that's what it's going to be in the offseason. Talk about what these teams are going to do. We're going to break down specific teams on every podcast. So, hopefully, you look forward to that. But thank you so much to Christian Dudley. Thank you to the best producer in the Mid-South, Jordan Taylor. I'm, of course, Ryan Glover. We'll be back in the coming days. Thank you very much.